Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 12th episode of Breaking the Lines. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, uh, here today with, well, a BN Sports trifecta. Um, we've got David Cartledge, uh, La Liga expert and writer for BN Sports, among others. Great to have you here. Um, we've got, well, one of the rising and current stars of the fastest growing network on, on USA, um, Kevin Egan, host of The Extra, and uh, yeah, La Liga expert as well. Thanks, Zach. Delighted to be here. Finally, we have the um, respected by some, feared by all, America's favorite com color commentator, ladies and gentlemen, Phil Shane is on here today. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> great, great. Um, just quick, wanted to, uh, everybody at Breaking Lines wants to uh, express our condolences to the people affected at uh, Manchester last night. And I highly suggest everybody listening to this go on to justgiving.com uh, to help out the families of those affected. Um, but yeah, let, let's get into the podcast right now. Uh, sixth episode of Leo Spirits. So, last Sunday, Real Madrid won La Liga for the first year since 2012. They are our reigning Spanish champions. Actually, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first year that that Bien has had La Liga, or even that Bien has had ex in, been in existence? That Real Madrid are are champions of Spain? Because I thought you started, is that right? Uh, I believe that's what Kay Marie said, and I'll trust her. She knows her numbers. She does. She really does. So, yeah, I mean, what, what, what changed for you? Why, why was this the magic year that Real Madrid finally did it? Any, any particular, was it just, did, did, did Barca leave themselves with too much work to do? You know, there's a, even in the end of, even in the tail end of last season, we saw, you know, a widening gap between Luis Enrique and the players, in my opinion. Um, and really just uh, with Dani Alves leaving, a lot of, I think there were personally too many cracks of the squad. Uh, so, you know, who, who was the main star in this Liga win for you? Was it... Uh, Luis Enrique's own, you know, failures over rotation. Was it Perez, Florentino Perez's uh, calm and calculated signings? Or was it Luka Modric? You know, w w was it a team effort? Or I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, who do you think owes more credit to themselves? W was, this, was this Madrid winning La Liga or Barca losing La Liga? First of all, obviously, a little bit of both. Excuse me, but... Uh, yeah. The other thing I think you need to consider is the fact that turnaround one game with Barcelona against the Malaga, Barcelona against an Alaves, yeah. uh, just one single game, and Barcelona's the champion again, and Real Madrid would be in second place. So I think for all of the accolades, we have to realize that it's not as though, from a Real Madrid perspective, that the dragon is dead and long live the new king. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still some work to be done. There's some huge questions, though, in the offseason in regards to uh, the new contract for Lionel Messi, mm -hmm. um, who comes in, who goes on the Barcelona side. But uh, uh, rumors of their passing are, are quite premature. However, on the Real Madrid side, um, I don't think there's any doubt it's Zinedine Zidane. Um, you can point yeah. a number of players yeah. on the field uh, that have had some stellar seasons or stellar parts of seasons. Uh, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, in many ways had a relatively forgettable season until yeah. the final six weeks um, where he became the hottest player on the planet. Uh, and I think it was the ability of Zidane to deal with huge egos, like a Cristiano Ronaldo on one end, like a Florentino Perez on the other, and basically keep the Real Madrid ship headed towards the right harbor. Thank you, Phil. That's what I was... <laughs> trying to harp on, uh, Zidane, you know, I think that we need to talk about Zidane because, uh, you know, in 20, 2016, when he was hired, he was, he was hired to a, uh, you know, crisis, I think, or a mini crisis at least. Um, 
of egos, you know, Barca widening the gap on La Liga. And he just had, you know, just an incredible run. It's been, I guess, half a year, a year and a half now. And uh, really, I, I, it's probably the greatest debut term uh, from a manager in football history. Correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, was Zidane just perfectly uh, timed for this? Because I do think that Perez kind of, uh, he, he kind of raised him. You know, I mean, I think Perez always looked at, looked as him, looked at, looked at him as a kind of, you know, a son uh, with the signing. And then also just raising him, you know, uh, through the ranks, you know, as a Castilla manager, as an assistant manager, to become Real Madrid's manager. It was an impromptu, you know, signing to put him in in the middle of the season, but he's done incredibly well to steer Madrid clear of uh, turbulent waters. Yeah. And I think, uh, Zach, yeah. I think one other thing to consider here is the fact that there were no signings last summer other than Alvaro Morata. Uh, the squad yeah. was very settled, and that's something that we haven't really seen with Real Madrid all, all too often. He had the perfect situation in that you have so many good young well not, not good exceptionally talented young players coming through uh, Asensio in, in the team this year uh, obviously Isco impressing James Rodriguez these guys aren't getting to the stage where they're young anymore and you most likely will lose uh, one or two of these guys at least during the summer so I don't think you're going to see a squad next year that has the greatest depth on the planet like we saw this year because Real Madrid I don't think will be able to keep a hold of uh, Hamas for sure, maybe a few others in that in that regard as well. But Zidane's ability, as Phil touched on, to manage these players' egos, uh, Zidane's ability to step in with Cristiano Ronaldo and say, you're not going to play every game. Yeah. Before the past two games of the season, you haven't played four away games. and uh, That speaks to Cristiano Ronaldo's maturation process as well, that he was willing, yes. willing to listen. Because not all the time do great players become great managers. We know that from whether it's Maradona or whether it's you know Roy Keane or or, or many others as well. It's not often the case. So, fair play to Zinedine Zidane. His lack of an ego really yeah. helped him in this. And to keep players like Danilo and, and Nacho uh, motivated, to, to keep them, you know, concentrated and not thinking about uh, a summer move to Manchester United, for example, to keep them motivated on, on thinking about winning La Liga, on winning La Duodecima. That is just incredible. Um, David, do you have any thoughts on Zidane? Uh, Zidane's yeah, yeah, I think his uh, his man management has been outstanding. I think especially you see how uh, things have transpired in Barcelona with Luis Enrique. I think Zidane has been uh, the opposite of that. You know, he's worked with every single. Never just a few months after he was presented that he didn't really like the Zidane's and Pavone's famous policy at Real Madrid, the Galactico policy, because he said everybody in the locker room is equal. Um, and I think he's worked on that as a manager, and the players have really responded to that. Yeah. And, you know, also, I want to touch up on what Kevin just said. Talk about this. I think it's a, a transfer ban phenomenon for me. Barcelona had a transfer ban. And they won the treble. Real Madrid, uh, they had a transfer ban. And, well, it looks like they might have their greatest, possibly their greatest ever season, honestly. So do you think that there is a, a particular uh, phenomenon, a link between all of these? Is, can a transfer ban actually be good for a team? Or does it rely on circumstances? What, what do you think? Um, I think it can be uh, de definitely the circumstances uh, they matter, of course. But mm -hmm. overall, yeah, I think it can bring a squad together. Uh, it can bring a team together. It does create a bit of a different mentality that I think maybe potentially us against them. Um, and I think yeah. some, some people respond to that really well. Yeah. Kev Phil, Kevin? Uh, well, in my mind, I think that David pointed out a, a perfect situation that helped Zinedine Zidane immensely. Now, if it had been the full two transfer periods that Barcelona got, I wonder whether things might have been a little bit different, that maybe there might have been a bit of a rush to fill perceived potential gaps that could have created headaches later. But the fact that it was basically a closed shop, 
um, that they they knew they only needed to survive uh, what is normally not a very productive winter window, uh, took away a lot of the risk and also allowed them to talk to an ISCO, talk to a Hamas, um, and convince them that it was worth sticking this through, understanding that there would be limits to their participation, uh, but at the same point that they would get opportunities. And I think both of them took it um, with with both hands. Hamas might be on the move now, if you judge some of the body actions and reactions, um, and Isco coming out and saying that he's willing to stay and fight even more uh, kind of makes you wonder what's going to happen to Gareth Bale. But again, this gets into man management um, to the points of the players you talked about. And Isco and Danilo, even a Fabio Coentrao, um, who's not really in the doghouse at the moment, uh, but not really needed, still, in my mind, one of the better left backs on the planet. The problem yeah. is he's just playing yeah. behind the best. Um, so they were able to sli- slide Cointreau into a few cup games, uh, into a league game, um, and he responded. So, uh, again, I don't know if this can continue forever. Um, eventually, players are going to run out of patience. Uh, but on the short term, and especially, Kevin, I think you'd agree, uh, as long as Real Madrid is winning, uh, it's a lot easier to keep those players yeah. happy. Very much so, Phil. And I think one of the other things that Zidane seemed to stumble on is the fact that Gareth Bale was out for so long this season with injury. Toward the end of the season when he was out, there was no question that the undisputed starter was Isco in the side. And Real Madrid, to me, looked at their very best uh, toward the end of the season, certainly in the last quarter of the season. Now, that poses a bit of a problem for Zidane as we head toward the Champions League final. It's also in Cardiff, where Gareth Bale is an absolute king. So if Bale is back after Zidane said that he would always start the BBC if they're available, does he honestly leave Isco out of the team right now? I think that's a big, big question for Zidane. It would be kind of, in the grand scheme of things, kind of hearsay because for me, uh, well, not hearsay, but Isco has been, for me, uh, Real Madrid's second best player uh, behind Ronaldo. Um, in the closing weeks. And I think you could even argue he's been the best. So, you know, it, it is a catch-22 because you do want Bale to have that, that Hollywood story to come back home to Cardiff and to, uh, to win La Duodecima for Real Madrid. But you have to drop Isco, I think, for, for, for that to happen. Um, unless you want to maybe play Ronaldo and Bale up top in a, an unconventional uh, diamond formation or or something, um, but I, I do think that um, Isco, no matter what, has to start. Uh, I want to touch up actually on what you just mentioned, Phil, because Fabio Contrao, uh, he has had a he's had a great career. Um, he was you know superb in uh, the Euros and the World Cup. You know, normally he would not be relegated to just facing up against. The, the, the relegation fighters in La Liga. But with Real Madrid, I think that with, with the championship, with just the culture of winning and expecting nothing less than the best, um, I, I think that you accept that. You learn to accept that. And, you know, as Cohen Trout leaves this summer, Real Madrid are going to back up the best left back on the planet, in my opinion, Marcelo, with the best teenage left back on the planet, Theo Hernandez. Um, and I think that's just all you need to know about this Real Madrid team, just the culture of excellence. So that's, that's maybe more of a, um, a non – that's more of just a cultural factor. Um, but I, I do think that there is sort of a, a difference between Barcelona in that regard, in that it's always been kind of hazy what, what their mission is since – since at least uh, since Bartomeu became president, you know, do we want beautiful football? Do we want La Masia in? Uh, do we want to build it around Messi? What, what did you make of this Barcelona season? Very flat, I mean, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I, yeah. Obviously, the big difference, I think most people will, will point this out, and it is quite obvious, was the lack of quality in reserve for Barcelona compared exactly. to... Um, TT did quite well. Um, I... I 
didn't see enough of Denis Suarez, as in he wasn't played enough, in my opinion. I think he's very talented. Alcacer didn't shine until the end of the season or close to it. And there were other players that just didn't produce. And, and you just cannot compare that when you're trying to play Champions League football, Copa del Rey and everything else with a Real Madrid team that quite literally at times looked better with their B team. Uh, and that, that made such a huge difference throughout the season. Otherwise, Luis Enrique caught a frustrated figure, very narky with the media at times. Uh, didn't seem as calm at all as Zinedine Zidane, even though Zidane may have felt differently. His exterior to the public was one of complete control. And I think uh, it ultimately cost him. Not having a backup plan for, for Luis Suarez all season long was a problem. Um, mm-hmm. And not being able to drop into a different system seemed to be a problem. Yeah, Phil, David, was, was this league basically decided between who had the better bench? Yeah, I believe so. I think the, the squad... Fa- I think this is going to be known as uh, a title one. Uh, the year La Liga was decided by the squad. Um yeah. Zidane, that Real Madrid had a better squad at the start of the season, um, and by the end of the season, it had been man managed. Like I said before about Zidane and his man management, it had been man managed in a far better way in terms of rotation, general changes. Um, I made the point uh, after the title was decided. Who did Barca have down the stretch of the season compared to Isco to come in, revitalize the the starting eleven? Uh, and, and really, Isco was fantastic down the stretch. Barca had no one. They were still arguing about Andre Gomez and where he should play, if he should play at all. And I think that was the difference between the two teams. And again, you have to remember, uh, turn one game around in Barcelona's champion. It gives you an idea of how talented that team is. But I think if we sit back and look 10 years from now, and uh, we're sitting in one of Kevin's pubs with a pint. Um, <laughs> it's going to come across with a totally different feeling. We're going to think Real Madrid was foot perfect. Everything went their way. They lost so few games. Um, and that Barcelona was totally dysfunctional uh, and was lucky they didn't finish out of Champions League. It wasn't that way. So uh, I think a lot of it, uh, the credit, as I mentioned, going to Zidane, I think a lot of the blame, if you will, goes to Luis Enrique, uh, even though on paper he is the second best manager in the history of the club uh, with a better winning percentage than Pep, I believe still at this point, more trophies than, than Johan Cruyff. Uh, a large part of that obviously has to do with the roster at his disposal. But uh, I think in many ways uh, this goes back to the death of, of Tito Villanova I think Tata Martino got a short shrift, uh, and I think if he would have stuck around, maybe there would have been a little bit more cohesiveness on this team, uh, but he seemed to lose the board and some of the dressing room uh, who thought he was basically just Messi's man. So they needed to bring someone in that was somewhat familiar with the system. Luis Enrique uh, checked all the boxes, but bit by bit, after Pep into Tito, a little more with Tata, and now especially with Lucho, um, they're getting away from the Pep Guardiola system of the compactness. And it's you kind of wonder if it's a chicken and egg scenario, guys, though, because if you have players like Messi, Suarez, and Neymar up front, of course you want to get it to them as quickly as possible, exactly. as opposed to the patient development uh, under Pep Guardiola. No, that is, that is it, a great point. Yeah, it's the thing that when you when you look at it, it, it makes complete sense to have that system. How many times here in North America, whether it be MLS or NASL, have we seen lately over the past few years a manager say, a coach say, "Well, I want to, we want to play it out of the back. That's our philosophy. We want to try and do it." I see it all the time, whether it be Miami FC or Atlanta, your new club. Atlanta try and do it exactly, and you have Jeff Laurentiis drop deep, or you have Richie Ryan at Miami drop deep, whatever it is, and the team will completely and utterly press up. But they don't have a striker to basically offer that foil if you wanted to skip those lines of confrontation and get the ball over the top. So with the signing of Luis Suarez, it uh, Serge Busquets a release in my mind. Um, and you were able to get the ball from PK's foot directly to Luis Suarez's chest and then him bring his teammates into play. That was then an option. So I thought that was one of the... The big things about the Luis Enrique era was the introduction of Suarez. And ultimately, I think the Luis Enrique era will be remembered for the MSN. He definitely will. Um, 
you know, Phil, I, I appreciate you saying that, you know, Barca did come close. This was not a, a total route. But I do think that, you know, Barca weren't unlucky. Messi was unlucky. For me, this was the season where Barca became so much like Argentina, or at least the Argentina of um, Sabea, Tata, um, and Bausta, in that just Messi kind of had so much work to do. And at the end of the day, um, as, as great as Messi is, I'm trusting 23 uh, Real Madrid players who are pretty much around the world-class level than, uh, you know, 29-year-old Messi to just do it all and produce every single week uh, and more than once a week, twice a week. Um, for me, this was the year that just, you know, you see Ronaldo doing so well, but he's having, he's getting rest. He's, he's having the team tailored to him. Um, whereas Messi for me, he just, he had way too much work to do. What, what do you think? Was this the season where just Messi dependencia kind of took up a, a whole new level? Or am I exaggerating? What would you say? Because, you know, in, in terms of MSN, you know, I think that is Suarez. Suarez's form took a nosedive. But, you know, I think he's still a valuable player. He just has too much work to do. So my, basically my question is, do you rip up the blueprint? Uh, do, you, do you try to go to a more, you know, possession-oriented uh, approach with the new manager? Or do you stick with the MSN that has given you so many trophies? I think you stick with MSN. But what you do is you provide better players behind them. Um, I find it astounding that Barcelona have this current midfield, the current where they are, because it's, it's, nowhere, it's nowhere near the level that, that, that Barca's midfield should be. Um, yeah. You know, we've seen in Madrid. Look at the level of the midfield. You know, Luka Modric, best midfielder in the world by, by some distance. And he's got guys yeah. like Cruz behind him. Uh, Casemiro has come on, I think, uh, leaps and bounds. He's not my favourite type of player, but, you know, we can't deny his progression. Um, Isco, of course, we've talked about Asensio coming through. Um, and Barcelona just need a better standard of players, you know. They needed somebody like Berati, I think, uh, to come in there and really be the base of that midfield. They, they haven't really replaced uh, Xavi in a proper manner. And, and don't get me wrong, Xavi is irreplaceable, but you replace him in a better manner than they have. Do you know who would have been me, guys, as a son? Just throwing it out there to get your opinion on it. I thought it was astounding that Barcelona didn't go after Gabriel Jesus as a striking option. Someone who's 19 years of age, who is, is absolutely scintillating alongside Neymar for the national. The future of the Barcelona attack for years to come would have made complete sense. It's not as if he was a, an outrageous boy in terms of money from Manchester City at all. And it was surprising that, that Barcelona would go spend a similar amount of money, if I'm correct, on someone like Alcacer rather than bringing someone through who can learn from Suarez who doesn't necessarily need to be the star at 19 years of age but could come through yeah I mean I, I totally agree with you Kevin I mean I think Gabriel Jesus um, I, I'm not even joking I think he'll have a better season than Suarez next season um, but I do think that uh, this is the Barcelona board fault uh, that there are so many gaps in the squad that they're going to have to fill, even before replacing Suarez, in my opinion. You got to, um, you know, Iniesta might even leave. Iniesta might even leave next, next, uh, next, next season. Sorry, um, Iniesta might leave next season. Um, Rakitic, I don't know if he's good enough. Alba, I don't know if he's staying or if he's good enough. So, you know. I think that that's the main difference between Real Madrid and FC Barcelona in that Barcelona have, have allowed their squad to deteriorate and age um, to the point where, you know, Jesus would have been lovely. But at the same time, I still think there are so many gaps left in the squad. Uh, for you guys, what, what should Barcelona's next main priority be this summer? Is it sign a midfielder, sign a competent right back, sign a striker? What do you think? Well, I guess to kind of follow up on the last discussion and look ahead, um, especially the news of the day with Sandro Rossell getting arrested for uh, for money laundering and, and having to do with, I'm guessing this goes back even to the television rights deal with La Sexta, et cetera. Um, they were so worried about getting money 
Uh, I'm not saying there was any wrongdoing, but they were focused more on uh, the eggs from the golden goose than making sure that the goose was getting fed. Um, yeah. Think back to the time back then, uh, you could have had someone like a Marco Verratti uh, for five, maybe even 10 million euro. Now, if you're going to try and pluck them away from PSG, it could be 60 or 70. Um, same thing with Isco. I know uh, Barcelona was initially interested in Isco, but for whatever reason, uh, they let him migrate. Uh, going back even earlier to the time where they uh, were unaware of the frustration surrounding Tiago Alcantara. Now, imagine if you had a Tiago or a Verratti with an Isco, still with Busquets. Ridiculous. Um, and this Barcelona club would probably crack 100 points, never break a sweat. But they they just seem to miss the signposts. And I'm wondering if there is any chance that that's going to change under the current regime. Uh, this Barcelona era is really not that old uh, or that long in the history of football. I mean, we're pretty much looking at a decade. So. Yeah. Uh, is this just going to end up being a bit of a flash in the pan that synchronized with the arrival of Messi, the return of Guardiola, and will soon just kind of dissipate into the ether uh, where the traditional likes of, a, of the way business is done by a Real Madrid uh, going out and buying the superstars or a Bayern Munich going out and buying your opposition's best players, um, is that going to continue to, to rule the roost? And uh, I kind of agree that this offseason – they need to make some big splashes in the right situations to find someone to, to direct the ship like a Xavi, to find a player who can clean up others' messes like a Carlos Puyol, who they still haven't replaced in many ways. Um, I think that Ter Stegen shows some, uh, some weakness, but he's still a relatively young keeper. I believe just turned 25, uh, and I think he will continue to get better and better uh, he seems to have a good goalkeeper's brain, which is the ability to at least uh, apparently uh, forget your mistakes so it doesn't seem to dwell on you. Um, and I think, again, with MSN, maybe even if Suarez does trickle down a bit or eventually leaves in a year or two, that's probably the easiest of those three positions to fill. I think the key is hold on to Messi um, Try and hold your on the Neymar as best possible. Uh, get a couple of midfielders, another central defender, and things will be back to normal if it's the right players. And Phil, one you didn't you didn't mention that I think jumps out at me this year is the four point five million Barcelona simply had to pay for Asensio and didn't do it. And, and rejected Asensio to buy Douglas, you know, uh, yeah. who wasn't even starting for his for uh, Sao Paulo, I believe. Yeah, continue, Phil. I mean, Kevin. No, that's uh, that's the one that really stands out to me because I think Asensio, all, all, I know it's a ridiculous comparison to make, I think he's got all the tools to go on and be a top-class player. And, and the way he plays reminds me a lot of Andres Iniesta. Unbelievably quick in transition, can find that key pass, got plenty of pace, good finisher. Uh, and someone who could, who, who could potentially play further forward in that three if they needed him to. But uh, I think he's going to be a real rock star for Real Madrid in time to come. And it's good. It's going to be one that we'll look back on, similar to Thiago as well, and uh, and shake our head wondering how Barcelona yeah. didn't wrap him up. But uh, but uh, um, Zach, I actually have to bounce. But thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's really been a great, great pleasure. Take care. Um, take care. Take yeah, care, I, I just wanted to continue. I think Asensio is um, has blown door potential, in my opinion. Um, but you know, let's move on to to Spain's third giant. Atletico de Madrid. Um, this this season seemed like kind of uh, stagnation, in my opinion. Uh, really weak transfer window, I would say. I think the Atletico gave Griezmann too much to do, um, and his situation is now unclear. Um, what what do you make from this Atletico team? Do you think that they need to um, tear up the blueprint? Uh, do they need a a star signing. Can this Atletico team continue to be the European force that we have, you know, seen uh, for the past four years or so, or uh, is it is it finally fizzling out? 
What do you think? David, Kevin, I mean, Phil? David? David? Yes. Or not, Letty? I mean, I think they're, they're not in a terrible position. I just think it's, it's minor tweaks that, that need to occur um, at Atleti. Uh, they've had, a, I think, an emotional season. Um, you know, they're leaving their famous stadium. Uh, you know, they, they've been bounced out in the Champions League and I, I think I thought in an emphatic manner, pretty ruthless manner. And they have to pick themselves up again and Atleti do it well. Um, and they will do so again and they'll be... We'll be there again next year as well um, in, in the mix between Real Madrid and, and Barcelona. Um, there's just minor tweaks needed, I think. I don't think a revolution is completely needed. Of course, that depends. It looks like Simeone is going to stick around. Um, you wonder whether the Claudio Ranieri situation at Leicester is a cautionary tale, though. Uh, and it looks like finally, even if Simeone sticks, at least a 40% chance that, uh, that Griezmann moves on. And, I mean, we're looking again at an Atletico side that has just replaced superstar after superstar. Uh, I think you're yeah. probably going like eight or nine in succession uh, in the attack and now on their third straight world-class goalkeeper, if not fourth. Um, but sooner or later, you got to figure, even if the well doesn't run dry, there's going to be a hiccup and a dry spell. Um, this past year, uh, at the start of the season, I thought that Sevilla had a very good chance to finish ahead of Atleti. And I think if Luis Enrique had not had his resignation speech, which then shined a spotlight on Sampaoli, who handled it poorly um, and pretty much left his team trying to figure out where they stood in the equation, uh, at that particular point, Sevilla started to take on water and wobble. Maybe a little bit of the Bielsa situation where they were running on fumes at the end with a light roster didn't help. Uh, but I would not be surprised if Sevilla stick around um, if things go well. I think Bariso could be a good replacement, even if it is a slightly different Bielsa style. Uh, I, I think that what we've seen uh, from Villarreal, they're probably going to stick around. I think uh, the arrival of Marcelino at Valencia uh, could lift them back up into the equation. I think there's a good chance, even if Atleti stays in that third spot, there's a danger that Real and Barcelona pull away just a little bit, or maybe the that following group just falls back a little bit. Uh, because, again, from an Atletico perspective, uh, you saw the last in the derby, uh, they just weren't on the same field. They didn't seem to, to have what it takes uh, in the Champions League when, the, when it counted. I'm not saying it's the end, but I'm almost wondering, even though he says at the moment, in the heat of the moment, that he's sticking, would it be better for Simeone to go to an inter where there is so much potential to improve? I mean, you can't get much worse than what Inter are doing right now, as opposed to stick around and Atletico, and like I said, the Ranieri caution uh, to open up the, the new stadium and uh, and play out his contract, which closes at the end of this coming season. You almost wonder whether that's uh, a cigar that might blow up in his face. Yeah, well said, Phil. I, I think that there's a huge difference, and that Inter are are kind of on the the uh, they've kind of reached their potential, in my opinion, for as 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 much as they can possibly deteriorate. I think that they are at probably the low end of the potential, whereas Atletico are more or less on the high end of the potential. Is there any more room to improve? Um, if you're Simeone, what do you do? Go to Inter this summer or uh, stick around for another year? Um, I think I stay and, and see how this, this Inter project is going to develop. Um, otherwise, Simeone has to be extremely patient because it's going to be another project, a long-term project, and he has to prepare for that. I think there's a lot still in place. I think he stays also, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a decision he might come to regret. He loves Atletico, but he also loves Inter. I think it's, an event it's eventually going to be a location he goes, so maybe it's a fallback. 
um, that Inter would want him regardless of what happens this season. Um, I also see him perhaps following in Sampaoli's footsteps and taking over Argentina uh, before his career is over. So in the big picture, it's not really going to hurt him uh, if he stays. I'm just wondering, again, if a player like a Griezmann moves on, you look at the midfield, Gabi's not getting any younger, and I, I think something we haven't really discussed and maybe hasn't really been focused on uh, to – uh, Tiago Mota, the injury to uh, uh, to Augusto Fernandez, who came in, which forced him to drop a Saul, to drop a Coque next to Gabi, and I, I think that that took a little bit of the attack away when those two were further upfield and was not quite as effective in front of the back line, where we saw some uncharacteristic weakness from from Godin and company. So it's a transition year. Um, it's a, there's still loads of potential for Atletico Madrid, especially with the new stadium and the 20,000 extra seats and the money that will come with it. Uh, I think Simeone can pretty much ask almost anyone on earth uh, to join in the project. This is not the guys from the bad side of the tracks anymore. I mean, Atletico Madrid with the Chinese ownership has the debts taken care of and is throwing out pretty much just as much money as almost anyone else in La Liga and Europe. So, again, the potential is there. I'm just I'm just kind of wondering if he might go to the well one time too often. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally I agree there. And, and um, uh, but I want to discuss some possibly mid-table teams in the league now. Uh, I want to ask both of you who was. Not only your biggest appointment, disappointment, but your biggest surprise story. Uh, uh, for me, the biggest success that was uh, unexpected for me was they also said that. I think there were a lot of unknown that came through and surprisingly got from Alvaro Virozola to William Jose and to secure the top six to really a bunch of top top were. Points, points really surprised really me. me on the on negative, negative end, end i would I say that my disappointment the celta Vigo, uh because uh, i really think burrito is one of the best managers in spain and um i i was i was a fan of their signings last summer um for you so who, who would you say was your biggest not only success but also disappointment well for me as far as success goes um i'd say it's hard to split it into one because I don't know if there truly was one outstanding success, but there were tremendous moments. Mentioned Sevilla and the way that they were actually leading the league for a while yeah. uh, until the wheels fell off. I think Alaves, again, doing quite well in the table until they started focusing on the cup and they've made it all the way to the final uh, as the fourth Basque team. Um, all four, what is it? I think top 11, if not top 10. Uh, and that's quite an accomplishment for the Basque country. I think you, you take a look at, in my mind, one of the most exciting teams in Europe to watch under Kike Setien is Las Palmas. And as opposed to going out and getting over-the-hill players from the EPL uh, or overpriced players from elsewhere, I just wish MLS would go take a look at some of these guys and see how it's actually done because it's pretty much all homegrown players, uh, even Hesse at the end. I know it was kind of a disappointing return for him, but even at the end, I think he showed the passion that epitomizes this Las Palmas side. Um, and they just know how to play. Unfortunately, again, it was an argument between the coach and the owners. Setien finally says, that's it, he's done. Mm -hmm. And that point also kind of coincided with Las Palmas clinching survival uh, so pretty much the fiesta started, and I'm not sure if they even made it to practice from the beach uh, at that point on. But uh, at the start of the season, I think even down the stretch when they were playing the big clubs, uh, they are so much fun to watch. Disappointment? Um, I could see the Celta Vigo one, but that's one I could kind of see coming. Um, the argument with Oriana uh, did not help. Um, the, uh, similar to Sampaoli when the rumors started swirling about Bariso leaving 
that did not help. Uh, they do not have a very deep roster, especially after Oriana left. And when they had to focus in on Europa, uh, their league form tumbled. The one in my mind that had little excuse is the guy that might well be the front runner to take over Barcelona, and that's Valverde and Athletic, uh, where you have Aritz Aruritz um, refusing to obey the calendar. Uh, you have one of the best academies and feeder systems in the Basque country to Athletic Bilbao, and two, if not more, of the best young players in Spain, and an Iker Munayin, who had a bit of a resurgence this year, uh, and an Yaki Williams, who I think was criminally underutilized uh, and might end up leaving with uh, little in to show for it from Athletic. Um, I think Athletic should have challenged much more for a top four spot rather than having to settle in for uh, hopefully a Europa League berth if Alaves cannot upset uh, Barcelona. If there is the upset and Barcelona ends up without a trophy, uh, Athletic ends up without Europe altogether. Yeah. No, Valverde for me was a big disappointment this season, especially buying Father Time. Yurai having one of the best seasons in Spain. Inaki, of course, coming into form. And several other great factors. This couldn't really muster a fight for Champions League, which I would have expected. Um, but that was a great point with MLS and needing more homegrown players. Look at look at uh, many of the basketball clubs heavily utilizing youth. Um, David, who would be your biggest disappointment as well as biggest success this season in Spain? I think Valencia are always a disappointment. Every single season. Because they promised so much, and the squad that they put together is usually pretty good. You know, you look at the young talent there, the players they have got, the, the resources. I still think in there to, to, to bring in good enough players. Um, but they ultimately there is a failure um, at the club. And I mean, you look at Paul came in; they were they were heading down in a quite striking manner. So it's Valencia every year, you know, for me. Um, but in terms of in terms of surprise, um, uh, I think Alaves have just been astounding. They they worked really well in the summer to bring in a particular type of player. Uh, they used the loan market to their advantage, and they they've been outstanding. I mean, for the fact that they have finished where they have top half of the table, they've got a cup final still to come. It's just it's it's remarkable. Uh, this sort of thing doesn't uh, happen often in, in Spanish football. I, I would let me follow up on the Valencia situation yeah, because I think the reason there's such heartbreak is when you think back three years ago, Peter Lim stepping in to save the day. And not only was this going to revitalize the club uh, on the field, but here comes the new Mestalla. All of the, the problems are gone. Happy days are here again. And now even though it doesn't appear as though there are huge debts, it doesn't seem there's huge investment and the new Mestalla's in mothballs again. So, uh, and I, something also that I don't think many fans realize, you look at the Real Madrid, you look at the Barcelonas, the Atletis, um, probably the most difficult fans to please in Spain are Valencia fans. And, and they, uh, they finally thought things were going to go their way. Uh, at least for the first time since Rafa. And now it looks like uh, even with Voro's heroics, getting them to a more respectable position, they didn't even ask him to stick around. So I think that's a bit of an insult. Uh, Marcelino, a good, solid coach, um, who's really going to try and tighten up the defense, but it's not as though he's Mr. Personality. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. But there have been some really good coaches that have gone through Valencia over the last two years, a huge number, and I'm not even counting Gary Neville among them, um, <laughs> but uh, a huge number of good coaches that have gone through, and none of them, uh, other than Voro to a point, have been able to, to get anything positive out of it. So uh, I would kind of agree with you, David, I, maybe not specifically even on this season, but if you look long-term and perennially, um, it, it seems like 
ancient history when Valencia actually used to be a challenger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would just say that in terms of the fan base, I, I do think there is some discontent among Valencianistas and Mastaja that kind of sold us for Menge. This is still really a, a, a promising project for you know for short-term money. So I, I do think that there is a lot of disappointment, and I don't know if Valencia is totally sold on Pedro as the guy to bring them back to the glory day. Um, can you see them with Marcelino, with, with some side Well, Nemanja Maximovic already confirmed. You know, possibly some more. Can, can you see them having a push to get back into Europe next season? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, based on the fact of Marcelino and the squad they have, they're underperforming, underachieving at an incredible level, I think. Um, and again, with a few new players, picking up that defence, and they can be up there again. Because you know, the league isn't so strong at, the, at that. You know, in terms of the Europa, the Europa League cases, there's teams able to break in there if they just get things right. Alaves nearly got into Europe, you know, um, by the league spot. And it just goes to show that a little bit of good work, and, and you can get up there. But I think structurally behind the scenes, there's still lots of things wrong with uh, with Valencia, and that's going to deny them a little bit of success. Yeah, they, they are changing the uh, little bit. Uh, not sure if this is a reorganization or almost a a Kremlin-like disappearance of the prior regime. But Peter Lim not happy with the way things are working, wanting to reorganize. Uh, if they can try and find some stability, um, maybe get the the stadium works headed back in the right direction. Uh, Valencia is much better than a 11th or 12th place team. So I, I think that they should challenge for Europe. I think a lot of things would need to go their way if they're going to challenge for the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Um, just um, wanted to say, it's confirmed today that Ernesto Valverde has as a very good build-down manager. It seems like Barcelona will reach a decision on their coach uh, by May 29th, I believe. So really the wheels are all falling into place for Valverde to become Barcelona manager. Um, is this enough? Is this enough to take, you know, what seems like Real Madrid's era away from them and, and bring Barca back to the helm of Europe? He's going to have better talent to work with than he did at Athletic. Uh, it wasn't exactly a dour type of football that Athletic played. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be as free-flowing as many Barcelona fans would like, which might actually be a positive. We were talking about yeah, yeah. Uh, the defensive weaknesses. Uh, the one question I would have, and I, he does have a passing um, connection to Barcelona, spending, what was it, a season, season and a half uh, with Barcelona among his uh, many stops on his playing career. So he kind of has an idea about the Cruyff method, but he seems to be much more married to uh, the 4 2 3 1 um, and a 4-4-2 traditional formations at Athletic than Barcelona are used to playing. Uh, I, I think that it depends how much rain that Valverde is given by, uh, by uh, the front office and how he is received. Uh, I think he's going to show the due and proper respect to the superstars as long as they respond, I think he has a very strong sense of self, similar to Zinedine Zidane. Um, and I think getting back to the Real Madrid aspect, credit has to go to Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, who I have had many issues with over the past, uh, because remember the first time when Zidane substituted him out and he had his little uh, hissy yeah, yeah. fit. Um, Zidane kind of ignored it. I'm sure there were some conversations behind, either with Zidane or maybe David Batoni, his number one. Uh, but we never saw that again. I think after the waters were calmed, it was clearly explained to Cristiano two things. Um, number one, he's not getting any younger, and they need him to stay with Real Madrid. And number two, the more rest he gets earlier in the season, the stronger he's going to be at the end. And we are seeing at least in my memory, the strongest close to a season by Cristiano Ronaldo uh, 
in at least four or five years, if not more. Exactly. And I think that's a big reason why Real Madrid is where they are. Valverde is going to come in, and it's not as though Messi is 33, but he is 29, and a, a vast majority of the key players um, are going to be 29, 30, or above. Uh, so there's got to be a bit of a transition to getting a bit more youth involved uh, and that the older veteran players are going to need to buy into the scheme. And Zidane was able to get that done at Real Madrid. I'm not quite sure if Valverde is going to have the same success at Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think just, just a great point, point you mentioned uh, – Against Sevilla, Morata kind of threw a hissy fit when he was substituted. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's a testament to Zidane's power as a man manager that reactions like those are a rarity and not a regular occurrence. Because, you know, you've got players like Go out, uh, who aren't guaranteed starting exercise spots, even though they'd be arguably the best player on several of the European, uh, Europe's top teams. You know, to have them all working as one engine and not a different one, it, it really is the best to uh, You know, like I brought up with your colleague Andres Cordero a few weeks ago, I, I do think Don can be the next great man, 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 man um, after likes of Ancelotti and Ferguson. I think that is his strong suit as, as a manager. Um, but David... Tell me, Tell me what you think about this move, Valverde to Barcelona, looking uh, more likely today. Yeah, I just see it as a an unambitious, easy move. I think for Barcelona, I can see why they've done it. They don't want to rock the boat too much. This board are very, very keen on keeping things steady. Um, and, and not bringing about too much their failings. I think a guy like Valverde will, will allow them to, to do that. And stay at the position. Um, but if we talk about Valverde as a coach, again, I, I think he's a good coach, but for a club of athletics level, I don't think Barcelona, I don't think he's the right man for Barcelona. I'd be very surprised if he went on to really revolutionize Barca and, and really change their ways. And, you know, you know, I think he'll, uh, he'll, uh, he'll create a better morale in the squad, I think. He isn't as rough as Luis Enrique is. So in those aspects, I think he'll do well. But he's just, he doesn't seem good enough, uh, a good enough appointment for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Honestly. I'm, I'm extremely underwhelmed by the Barca's next manager. Um, but I want to finish off this podcast with... Well, the big well, story now, Champions League Champions final. final. Who do you got do you for got June 3rd? Juventus or Real Madrid? Real Madrid. Uh, I, think, I, think I, think, I think Juventus will win. Now, I picked Juventus way back in January and was fortunate with the draws to the point where uh, they step in against Real Madrid with only one game to play. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The way that Zinedine Zidane's Midas touch has worked in this season, except for one, the second Clasico against Barcelona, um, it's really hard to go against Real Madrid. However, it is still Zidane, still early on in his managerial reign, uh, against the Italian giants, who are so tactically trained and adept, um, that will throw things at him that he's hasn't seen probably since his playing days at Juventus. Um, I think what Allegri has built is taking the masterpiece that Conte had and making it even better. Uh, it's ability. It's much more flexible. Conte numerous times tried to get a four back system to work. Uh, so they would have a bit more success in Europe. And in fact, the the uh, tactical new that he's being credited for with Chelsea was pretty much going back to his strength, which was three in the back, um, where Allegri has been able to get this veteran side uh, to be much more flexible. Uh, they don't have as deep a roster, but it's almost that deep. 
uh, not quite a full A and a B, but they can slide players in at pretty much any position. Uh, I think they're going to need a good game out of Iguain. I think they're going to need uh, a good game out of Pjanic. Um, and I'm going to have full faith in the back four or five, including Gigi Buffon, uh, just based on the last decade. So I'm sticking with Juventus, but I think if any team can break them down this year, it's Real Madrid. But I have a feeling they'll finally get their third European title. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, this is all going to look hilarious in three weeks when Real Madrid claim their 12th European Cup. <laughs> I've I've been saying I'm gonna one up you, Phil. I'm gonna I've been saying Juventus will win uh, Champions League since I believe March 2016. Since Pep knocked them out, um, and you know I had reservations about sticking with that prediction after after Pogba left and they didn't really replace him. But you know, I think the main star of this team with, with respect to Dybala. And Buffon, everybody knows you. Is for me, for me, you know, he had several flaws at Milan. There were several problems here, and even even throughout up until the season, really, there were plenty of Bianconeri who you know suggested. I mean, he's good, but is he really Conte? And you know, Conte, Conte took Juventus from. Uh, a team that just got up from Serie B to to the helm of Italy again, but Allegri has took them to two straight or to two uh, European uh, finals in three years. Whereas uh, Conte, for all the good he did, did really struggle in Europe. Um, but yeah, uh, for you, w- would you say that Allegri has been the best manager in Europe this season? I think there's a few other ones that could probably get on the podium. Um, and talking about from La Liga, as I mentioned, Kike Setien for part of the season, Sampaoli for part of the season, Fran Escriba, who stepped in from Arcelino with, what, about two weeks to prepare? Yeah. Uh, took them almost to the Champions League. Um, there are some other good coaches like Asari. I think Spalletti turned things around at Roma. Um We'll find out in the offseason how well he is transitioning through the Totti era. I think Conte in England uh, has to get a lot of credit. Hassan Hudel at Leipzig, although reality finally struck. Uh, but, and I would say around the world, you even include play, coaches like Tite, who just revolutionized, re-revolutionized Brazilian football. But uh, when it comes to club football in Europe, uh, as you pointed out, taking something that good and making it even better uh, can be much harder than taking something average and making it good in the first place. Um, and if they do end up winning the European crown, I don't think there can be any argument. No argument. David? Yeah, I think Allegri is certainly up there, you know, like in terms of there not being any argument. I think if they do win the Champions League, then then okay. I think the dominance that they have showed... They've they've shown a dominance, I think, and a transition into European football that perhaps PSG would be envious of. You know, they've dominated their domestic league. You know, Juventus and PSG, they both have. But I think Juventus have, have made the transition to European football in such a fantastic manner. Um, and you look at how they've also... I mean, Allegri's been fantastic, don't get me wrong. But I think they're the perfect example of how to run a top, an elite club. You know, you look at how they've used the transfer market they bought high in guys like Higuain, you know, that they've got in who they needed to in certain positions. And they bought low as well, you know, or, or taken on, on a free transfer in some um, circumstances as well. And I think, how, I think yeah, exactly, you know, who, who's been potentially the best player in the Champions League, you know, in terms of the knockout stages. He's been phenomenal. And then they've got a, a star there in Zabala who can possibly be the best player in the world in a few years' time. So I think... They've got the mix and, you know, the experience there as well. They've just got it all, Juventus. I think it's perfectly done. You know, they've got the right coach and Allegri and then behind the scenes they have as well. And I think if they were to lift the trophy, it would be a, a, a great story, I think. You know, not a fairy tale, but a great story in terms of how to, how to run a club correctly um, and also, you know, on and off the field. Yeah. Um, my next question, a little bit, a little bit unorthodox, but... Uh, 
who do you predict will be the man of the match in Cardiff? Uh, I'm going for Paulo Dybala, definitely. I just think the stages for him, he's, he's shown in, in, in the knockout stages that he's up for the big occasion. Um, uh, and I just really do think it's, uh, it's his time now, you know. It's, it, the, the baton is being passed from, from guys like Messi and Cristiano and it's time for others to step up. Uh, Neymar is one of them and I think Dybala will show in this final just how good he is. I'll be really surprised if he doesn't. He's, he's such a phenomenal, phenomenal player. If it's based upon recent history, Gonzalo Higuain won't be anywhere near the podium. <laughs> um, but I think they might, might need him uh, to take it over the top. It, it's hard not to say Buffon, though, um, who, again, in my mind, would be forcing his way onto the podium for the Ballon d'Or if, uh, if they do end up getting an historic European treble. Uh, I mean, you think again, the history of this club, they've never won a European double, let alone... Uh, winning all both domestics and the European crown. So they wouldn't have done that without Buffon. The problem is I just sense that if Buffon is really busy in this match, it's not going well for Juventus. Uh, I think the thing that makes Juventus so good is the abilities of the Bonucci and Chiellini's and when necessary, Barsagli to, uh, to keep the opposition at bay. Uh, that might not be that possible this time. Again, the storybook answer would be uh, Gigi Buffon, but I think it's much more likely to be a little further up the spine, uh, be it a Bonucci, be it uh, uh, perhaps a Pjanic, who is criminally underrated at the moment, um, or maybe even someone like Asami Kadira, who could be the shuttler from front to back and maybe uh, pop into the box for an opportunistic goal. Uh, I think Dybala has been fantastic, but I, I think you, you got to get a little bit more uh, of the two-way type player because that's where I think Juventus is going to have to win it. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for a Hollywood ending, so <laughs> my heart tells me Gianluigi Buffon is going to get it. But um, I think that <laughs> it will I, – I can see Mandzukic doing it. Uh, I can see um, – Isco, even, or I can see um, Modric. I see has been pretty much flawless in you know two European finals. Um, but I'm gonna go with for me the breakout star of, or or at least the the comeback kid after his shaky start, um, really being the decisive player for Juventus. Daniel, for me. Uh, you know, had some issues, had some teething issues at Italy, but uh, he he proved everybody wrong, and and he's been he was crucial against Porto. He came on moments after scored the winner. Um, he did it all against Barcelona, and he was the best player over two legs against Monaco. And uh, personally, I just think that I, I think that he will get the job done and secure. Uh, what is that? His sixth European title. I mean. Because, uh, you know, he won Europa League at Sevilla, so I'm just trying to think, what, is that five? Whatever it is, um, one of the most, just just a champion, one of the most successful legends um, in history. You see Alves having uh, a man of the match performance, or you think Ronaldo will uh, own him? I think Isco has been vital. Um, Ronaldo is by default, over, especially over the last two months, I, I think pushed his way into the, the lead when it comes to Ballon d'Or uh, and would need to have a good game and would be up there for consideration for a man of the match here in the final. But you look at Real Madrid also, uh, Casemiro, uh, Isco when needed. I might have only been 17 starts, but I think every single time he was on the field, he was brilliant. Um, Navas, who was recovering from Achilles surgery at the start of the season, many thought that he had lost it, but once he got healthy down the stretch, um, was put perfect. Sim similar for Varane, who fought his way through injuries and ended up maybe competing with Nacho as the best defender. Uh, can't count out Sergio Ramos if it ends up being a close game in the, in the last 10 minutes, but uh, I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be if it's Real Madrid, Ronaldo, even if he might not be the, the true man of the match, he'll be involved. But uh, as you said, storybook time for, for Buffon would be a great way to end it.
Yeah. David? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd really love more than anything for, for Gigi to have a fantastic game and to, to pick up the Man of the Match award, but most importantly, pick up the trophy. I think a lot of people would want to see that as well. I know it's sentimental, but it really would be fantastic because I think to stay, I, I know he's a goalkeeper, but to stay at the level that he has been, I mean, he's been remarkable this season, uh, to stay at this level, um, you know, in, in, at the very top is astounding. It is. Um, well, thank you so much to Phil Shane and David Cartledge and Kevin Egan for being on this episode of Breaking Lines. I really appreciate it, guys. Pleasure. Great talking to you for an hour. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll wait the, uh, the Champions League final. Um, I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and this has been Breaking Lines.